Hey everyone, Michelle Seidling here with another episode of Food Experience Unplugged. Today we are talking about gardening and growing your own food and putting good food into your body. And who better to help us do that than Nikki Shouter, the uh, the permaculture guru. Hi Nikki, welcome to the podcast. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be informed as new episodes become available. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. As always, check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some resources as you begin your health journey. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having us here. Um, far from being a guru, I am, as most gardeners, gardeners will always tell you, we're always learning. Uh, we love to teach everything that we know, and we've definitely learned a lot. So that is what we're here to do today with your audience. Oh, fantastic. Well, to get started, will you um, take a moment to introduce yourself and why permaculture? Why did you go in that direction career-wise and hobby and everything-wise there? Certainly. Well, my name is Nikki. Um, my husband, Dave, and I, we uh, got married in 2006. And when we had our first child, uh, she was diagnosed with failure to thrive. And she had allergies so severe that uh, you know, they were telling me not to breastfeed. She was 18 pounds for what seemed like forever. Um, she wasn't growing. And they said it was because of allergies, of food allergies. So we had to change our diet dramatically. At that time, we were eating KFC. That was my pregnancy diet. KFC, um, and it's, we were eating at McDonald's, you know, eating out a lot. Uh, we, I was certainly removed from the growing process. Where did my food come from? I didn't know how things grew, how things were... Uh, how things were cooked even because my husband knew how to cook more than I did. But um, I, I, we stumbled upon this word permaculture in one of our bookstore dates. And in it, we wanted to grow. We wanted to grow so badly because we were thinking there must be something with the food system because not only did the allergies happen with our first child, our second child came along and he too had allergies. And my first child was allergic to nuts, tree nuts, peas, beans, fish, uh, not fish, but chicken, eggs, and gluten, and dairy, wow. and milk. That was a lot to be allergic to at a time when I think there was only one allergy cookbook that I could find. And <laughs> it was it was hard. And then our second was allergic to fish, tree nuts, peanuts. And now he's still allergic to peas, actually, the pea legume family, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But luckily, um, I mean, fortunately for, for us, I think think it's because of our growing. I'm not a scientist and I'm not, um, I'm a citizen scientist, but I'm not, I didn't do any fast study. I only have anecdotal evidence of my kids, but slowly they have, they can now eat a certain number of nuts. Like my, my, my son can eat walnuts now and hazelnuts. And then my daughter can eat, and they can both eat almonds and my daughter can eat chestnuts. And they've grown out. She's grown out of all the other allergies. The only thing remaining is the certain nuts and the peanuts. Those are the strong ones. Uh, and the following four kids, because we have six that follow, did not have any <laughs> any allergies after we started growing using permaculture. And permaculture came about when we were at one of our bookstore dates. We found the word permaculture and we thought, well, what is this? You know, we Googled it and we found that 
permaculture was used to grow, to green deserts even, to change mm-hmm. landscapes. It was amazing. And we didn't know what it was either. You know, where, where could we start? Where could, if they can green deserts, maybe we can grow tomatoes. And that's where it all began. Mm, wow, that that is amazing. Just really addressing your children's health needs and then just really, really magnifying that to benefit the whole family, sounds like. Yes, and for sure it benefited even us because Dave was having gut issues. When we were first married, he would throw up like after a restaurant meal every so often, like maybe once every quarter. <laughs> and it seemed like, wow. what is wrong with his gut? You know, but since since then, since growing organically, since eating the food that we grow, we now grow 25% of our fruits and vegetables from our backyard, 140th of an acre townhouse garden. And it's a shady garden, shady backyard, but we're, we manage to grow our fruits and vegetables and we include them in our daily meals, in our smoothies. And uh, it's, it's really different now that we're eating healthy. Um, my husband doesn't have those issues anymore and we feel more energetic. People are wondering, you know, we've, Thank God we haven't gotten sick. Um, in this, you know, this, we've also been isolated. <laughs> but um, but it's it's good to keep this flu season during this flu season. Every time that happens, it's not just the food that we're getting that's promoting the health. It's also the medicines that when we do get sick, there are medicines that we grow that help us recover faster and more completely than just taking a pill. Mm, Okay, good point. Now, on that note, could we kind of back up a little bit and just kind of talk to us, um, kind of, I would call it permaculture 101, I guess. What is permaculture and what's what's involved in it? Can you give us a little orientation here? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. Permaculture is a design system based on observation that um, works with nature and not against it. So it it's more than just a set of gardening techniques. Permaculture is an umbrella term right now, but it was created in the 70s to mean something like a permanent agriculture. Because at that time, even now, the conventional system is very much, it's not permanent in that it's a unidirectional. It's a linear system where you extract from the earth, you process the food, and then you have food and you eat it. And then, you know, or it goes to the waste, mm-hmm. goes to the landfill, very much like that. But if you have a permanent system, it's something that regenerates, regenerates and that's cyclical, even spiral, improving with time, where you, you may have initial inputs that you haul in from external sources, like your topsoil, for instance, or your seeds. You, you start planting, you grow the food, and as you grow the food, you're feeding some of the waste back into the food to fertilize the food. Fertilize the ground, fertilize the soil rather. And as you feed it and you work with nature, because nature wants so much to grow this beautiful food for us, but we want, we need to work with it and say, okay, I'm going to nourish the ecosystem below ground that supports my ecosystem above ground. And that's the bugs and the good bacteria, just like in our gut, the soil is like our gut. The, um, the earthworms that whose guts create this poop that's so fertile because they have gut bacteria that just makes magic with it, with the things that that we eat with a, with a refuse with a, with our um, food waste food scraps so instead of putting it to the landfill we compost it back into the soil you can you can start this really easily by banana peels chopping them up and putting them you know putting them amongst your veggies or eggshells crushing them up and putting them that that's a great source of calcium so um, 
that's one way. But one way that I want to describe it, and, there, and like I said, it's an umbrella term permaculture is. And now there are certain, um, and it has since in, involved permaculture to include so many ways of doing things, not just agriculture uh, or and things like the buzzwords now are regenerative agriculture, biodynamic gardening, Korean natural farming. All of these are, I would say, part of this movement of that permaculture aimed to create, which was to bring back something that was really intended to be in nature in the first place, our ability to grow the food in a holistic way instead of um, extracting, having this extractive mentality, like how can I get the best uh, looking tomatoes for the most profit to sell, but then the nutrient density in that tomato, is, it just looks good. The, right now, the markets are tuned towards the looks of the veggies. I think that's slowly changing, um, but instead we should, the markets should be tuned into the nutrient density, like how jam-packed with nutrition is your vegetable that will feed you, not just how good it looks. And once that, there are so many movements now <laughs> that are doing this, it's exciting to see and even talk to these people who are um, creating ways to measure nutrient density in foods. Um, now that that we're more aware that one apple is not the same as another apple, uh, depends on how you grew it, depends on how um, how long it's been sitting on the shelf. And that uh, that contributes to your own wellness is is knowing that process, knowing that it's like a full cycle. It's a whole, um, it's a game changer because it becomes a life, it becomes a lifestyle almost because it's based on principles, which are universals and, and permaculture becomes uh, a way of living that you don't even know, have to know the word permaculture in order to, to, to use it in your day to day. It's just an easy term to use so that we all know what we're talking about sometimes. But I would say if you're doing something that's similar to what I just described, you're already right. <laughs> you're on your way, keep doing it. Fantastic. Now, with regard to permaculture, now by default, is permaculture organic or do you have to do something specific to make it, hey, I have an organic garden versus not? Oh, I love that question. I, I try to answer that the first when I when I write the blog. We have a blog called What is Permaculture, by the way. Um, but permaculture versus organic gardening. So organic gardening can be linear. Because all organic gardening, even the certified organic gardeners, um, need to do is to make sure they don't use any pesticides in the production of their crop. So um, when they pesticides or herbicides or whatever chemicals um, that sure. would, yeah. So let's say you grow a carrot, but you're growing a carrot using water from the aquifers. that, uh, And you're using those water, those the water from the aquifers faster than you're replenishing it, faster than it's able to replenish it. For instance, it's been a drought and you don't have any water source, so you're getting it from the aquifer and there's no way to, um, for you, or you don't know, most people don't know how you would be able to replenish that aquifer. Then you are growing organic carrots and in many cases, uh, the big names in organics grow it this way. And then um, you can sell that as organic. It has no pesticides or wasn't, wasn't grown without any chemical fertilizers, but it wasn't in a permaculture way. You know, it wasn't grown with nature in the long run by, by taking away that water from the aquifer. You won't, you'll have dry soil. You'll be killing the life around it. And so um, that's one difference. You know, organic can be still a linear system, but permaculture tries to look at the bigger picture where you're not, uh, it's also based on ethics. So you're paying the wages of your, your farmers, fairly it's a fair wage and you're um 
you're making sure that you're replenishing the soil, you're taking care of the resources that you use, you're, you're building up the soil, which you can even do as a gardener in your home. You can build up the soil. You can replenish the aquifers by capturing water whenever you have a rain event into your landscape and, and uh, bringing it back. If you have good soil, the soil can capture that water and hold it there so it doesn't run off and then seep it down slowly into the ground so that those aquifers are replenished. Um, and so it looks at a tef- definitely a more holistic picture than just uh, I grew this with no pesticides and chemical fertilizers. Mm, okay. So, <laughs> yes, I think so. So let's see. So all, all permaculture is organic, but not all organic is permaculture. <laughs> yeah, yeah in, some, in some cases, yes, you're right. Okay. Now, what are some things to think about? Like, if, if you, how do you decide, hey, I'm going to start this permaculture garden versus any other type of garden? Yeah, how do you do permaculture, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, it's, it's good. Um, well, I think the decision should just be, how can I grow the most abundant food possible. Um, And even that, I think already, because by default, by saying that, you have to grow it in a permaculture way. You have to grow it in an organic, in a regenerative, um, non-pesticide, non-fertilizer chemical way. Because we, and, and part of us, Maybe some of us may think that that's not possible, but the most abundant, the most nutrient-dense food, the most local, you can only do it uh, using using this kind of design system. Well, first, the nice thing about permaculture, why is it important for wellness? It's, It's a design system, first and foremost. And it makes you realize it's important to design the life that you want to live, design your property, your garden, but ultimately your life. So what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want a life of wellness? Do you want a life that's rich in more ways than just money? You know, that your body is rich. You are enriched by experiences. You have a lot of time. Another another, uh, another title we, we call for permaculture gardening is lazy gardening. Because if you enlist the, um, the workers, which are your birds and your bees and your earthworms and that are already in nature, sun, you know, if you capture the sun, if you capture the water, instead of you going out of the hose and you find a way to, to capture that water into your um, garden beds and you don't have to do the work of watering, then you have more time. And, and so this is such a rich life. Yeah. It's such a rich life that it proposes. It's per- permanent. Bill Mollison, the person who coined the term with his uh, graduate student, used to say uh, permaculture is persistent systems for human permanent systems for persistent human existence mm-hmm. so it's you're looking at really the full lifetime of a incurred you know cultivating nurturing the full life of a human person and so <clears throat> and so permaculture the first thing you do if you want to do a permaculture garden is to design it <laughs> there's no way around it you can't just plop things you have to do this intentionally and so design your property your garden and ultimately your life and if you don't live your life by design we live it by default mm-hmm. and weeds come up and the pests come and you didn't you know you didn't of course they will come even if you design and then what but what you do when you have the design when you have that template is you can tweak it and it's an iterative process and every year that's why i said it wasn't just a circle it was a spiral it gets better and better because you look at your system and you think well what went wrong last year what can i do better 
and what went right and what can I keep on doing? And so you keep on doing that. And, and permaculture being a design system or a design science even helps us recognize what patterns are already existing in our lives, in our gardens, and to work with those natural patterns that I've been mentioning, you know, the birds, the bees, um, not against them. So for instance, there's a natural pattern of the sun rising and setting or the sun rising earlier during the summer. Um, from this, it makes sense that we plant when it's cooler in the mornings during the summer, for instance, or instead of when it's noonday and when our bodies and plants, you know, when our bodies and plants will fry during the noon. Um, so even even now, if you look at it, we look at gardening and, and some people just think of the summer garden with the tomatoes and the eggplants. But if we look, we live in North America and we have cold um, these mid-transition cold seasons of spring and fall, and they are two, whereas the summer season is just one, why don't we grow the cooler crops more often and focus you know, on those edge seasons instead of just the summer? And that way we prolong, we prolong the time that we're eating. And so that's why I said, all you have to do to start a permaculture garden is think, what do I, how much, how can I get the most amount of food? How can I get the best food that I've ever wanted? Because it starts from there and then you design so I hope that answered your question. <laughs> it did. It did. Now, how that kind of beckons the question, how do you get that? You were talking about that really nutrient dense food. So you're not having a just a great looking tomato, but actually a nutritious tomato as well or any other that's, vegetable. That's a great question. <laughs> and some farmers are still, you know, wrestling with this. How do we do this? How do we, because first you can't, it's not very easy to, to measure it. it and um, I want to put a plug for uh, an organization called Bionutrient Bio Food Association, because they're the, I would say the pioneers right now in building um, a device called a spectrometer that you could shine on a piece of app, you know, a piece of fruit or crop. And um, it will give you a range of their nutrient profile according to all the other crops that they've shined the light on in their database. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of, um, they're developing this, it's very grassroots and um, that that's kind of something in the way of the future where we will be hopefully be able to do that, go to the supermarket and say, which one, okay, this apple. Um, but right now, you can tell if something is nourishing you if it keeps you full for a long time, and um, you know that's one that's one way to just physically tell, and also like the freshness. So the most normally the most local ones, the ones that you can get from your backyard, will be more nutritious than anything you buy store bought. Okay. So um, so that's just in terms of I guess physical. But how do you get that? It's the practices that are associated with creating that are mostly now in the soil. So the soil sciences have just been a big, big, uh, great you know, experimental playground for farmers and soil scientists to figure out how do we, what do we tweak in the way that we, we, we fertilize our soils. And, it, and we just used to look at soil in the last like half century, only in terms of nutrient, like the, nu the chemical components, the macronutrients, the micronutrients, the, the NPK and all the other micronutrients that, um, consist in the soil. And if they were absent, then you'd have to add N. And if they were present, you know, then you were good. But the truth is, it's not just a matter of putting those things in the soil. Um, it's important that they're there because in some soils they're absent, but it's more also important that the life or the biology that are in the soil are able to process these for your plants to take up. So um, how do we, your question was, how do we 
know if we're if we're going the new, most nutrient dense one. Uh, I think you're already good if you're if you do it locally and you're in your backyard, you're already good. If you're not using chemicals which destroy the life in the soil and kill those bugs, the good bugs along with the bad bugs, right? But in the end, the good bugs are really really essential into in in creating because they have such a great symbiosis with plants. Mm. Um, nitrogen for instance, is fixed by rhizobium and frankia bacteria that are present in the roots of legumes or that attach themselves to the roots of legumes and create for them and give them as a reward for giving them a home or giving them what they want. They give the plant a lot of nitrogen and they change the nitrogen in, uh, in the soil and in the atmosphere into nitrates and nitrites. And that's what the plant needs, not N, not just the N that you put in there. So you can put all that N, NPK, and nothing will happen if you don't have the life in the soil. So the earthworms, the red regular worms, composting worms are essential to creating that good bacteria. And then the fungal, 80% people are, you know, you go down the aisle of pesticides, you think fungicides and um, you know, you have all these products for, for getting rid of bad fungus, but 80% of fungi are in mutual beneficial relationships with your plants, 80% of them. So especially a fungi called mycorrhizal fungi, and you can add that to your garden if your garden doesn't have it. And that's like the internet of the soil. So they feel all the nutrients and they can say over here, they need a little potassium, go bring it over here from the farthest corner of your, of your. So this is just soil science that's come up in the last 10 years or so. Um, and then finally, there's just the quality of the soil. If you look at your soil, it's very mm, crumbly, like a chocolate cake, moist, like a chocolate cake. That's this kind of soil that you want. It smells good and earthy. That's the kind of soil that you want. And that's the kind of soil that produces the rich, nutrient dense food um, mm, that we like okay. to eat. Okay, just a couple of curiosity questions is now with permaculture, is it only fruits and vegetables or can you do permaculture in terms of like a livestock farm or? or Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and we're permaculture gardens because we're small scale. When I started with permaculture, there was nobody um, really interested in my townhouse backyard who was a permaculturalist because they were all looking at breeding the desert, big scales. They worked in Saudi Arabia and all these things. And, and, and my backyard is like a joke, but I'm like, we can, it's just principles, the same principles. We can take these to the backyard and just apply it in a smaller scale, you know, without these uh, bigger inputs. So the ones permaculturalists, as you know, the bigger your property gets, the more diverse it needs to be in terms of plants, in terms of animals, in order to be stable. So if you have acres and acres of land, for sure, you need grazers there to help you with that till that soil. You need the beef and cattle, not just to feed you if you were, you know, growing them for food, but also to to help with, um, you know, their poop. Right now, I use for my um, pots is now this new product called a cow pot, which is made from the poop of cows. Oh. And, and okay. as, yeah, it's solid. It doesn't smell like anything. As the plant grows in it, its roots can go out through the pot. It's biodegradable. I just plug it into the, to the soil and it's its own fertilizer because it's already poop in, in, my, in my pot. So um, there are so many like amazing ways to, that people have already come up with that, you know, it's a movement that's starting more and more to integrate. The more land you have, the more animals you need to have basically. So in our, in the common backyard, let's say two acres, chickens would be so good to have, um, you know, and goats for milk and, and 
just the diversity of it. It's just, uh, it, it'll just be more stable. It'll be more stable if you have more um, of a diverse animal and plants. Okay. So, so do most um, permaculture gardens, are they both, both uh, vegetation and livestock or, or do some just have vegetation or? Some hours are just vegetation because we are impeded by HOA restrictions. Okay. So the only livestock we have is we have um, mason bees. These are non-stinging non orchard bees that pollinate our early spring crops that we keep. We keep them in little tubes, so super easy to keep. They're not like a big beehive that you need a suit for. The kids, we bring them to schools. The kids are um, love seeing them. And then the other thing we have are fish in our fish tank. That's our pets. And the poop from the fish tank, the poop in the water, that feeds some of our starts. We'll put our starts seedlings there in, in the cold, in the midwinter. And then um, we don't need to, you know, sometimes to just get them going because we have no more space or we have no soil. The soil is frozen outside. Then we can start little, aqua, it's called um, aquaponics instead of hydroponics. And I don't need to put any additives, cyclical system within my fish tank. And um, I can transplant them out when the weather turns warmer. So okay. those are how I create. <laughs> oh, and, and yeah, we have, and naturally stuff comes out. Like I had my boys dig a hole, uh, a hole in the ground where the washing machine drainage would go. And we don't use any bleach or anything. So I had them dig a pond last year. They dug a pond. The next day, a frog came. And when you see a frog come back to an ecosystem, that's like one of the first to go when an ecosystem collapses. So that was really, really um you know, that made me really happy to see, okay, there's more than, there's another animal in here. There's another animal in my, in my little backyard. Okay. So it really depends on your locale and how much space you have as to what your, the extent of your garden. Yes. And it can, I mean, if you live in an apartment with only a patio, you can start as small as just starting your microgreens, which are super expensive in the supermarket and yet super nutrient dense. Microgreens provide you so much um, vitamin C, uh, pro in some cases, like it makes me full for a long time. So I, I put those, I snip the little microgreen sprouts that I grow from alfalfa or clover or peas or beans. And then we have them in our daily meals, in our smoothies, in our sandwiches, salad toppers. You can start with that. You can start by growing your microgreens and Already in a span of seven to 10 days, you'll see, I grew my own food. You know, you'll see that cycle and you can just, yeah, you, that's zone zero. So in, in permaculture, we talk about different zones. The zone closest to your home is zone zero. Zone one is your kitchen garden. Zone two is your chickens, so on and so forth. The ones free, less frequently visited are the farther zones. So start with zone zero. Start with your home first and then move out little by little. Mm, okay. Now, how prevalent is permaculture, like within the United States per se? And then, you know, within, do other countries practice permaculture as well? I would love to know how prevalent it is for, um, for sure. I think that more and more I'm hearing the word used more often. Um, in Austria, the word permaculture is usually associated with an, a man named Sepp Holzer, who um, was doing the same practices and uh the, but he never called it permaculture. So other people did, and it was. So it was Bill Mollison said, yeah, this is permaculture. And basically he was growing on the Austrian, he was growing in a very steep Austrian mountain and he would terrace those mountains and he would do a lot of earthworks, like moving the, the ground so he could direct water and, and make things flatter for growing. 
Um, and yeah, he's a consultant all over the world. Now he even consults in different Asian countries just because he knows a lot about how to move the ground or, or design the ground in a way that would uh, create a sustainable or, or better growing environment. So there's, um, I would say that in Korea, they have Korean natural farming, which is a way that uh, you build the soil using, I just learned this over my last uh, farming conference, Korean natural farming, what did I learn? You, it was like making kimchi, but you're using, you're building the soil, you're composting, <laughs> you're using the soil um, from the forest and some rice that you basically cooked and left to ferment. <laughs> so you put it all in a box and it's interesting. Now I'm thinking, why, why did I need to do that again? It's to create some sort of a, a, to promote the growth of a bacteria that's very desirable for your garden. Oh, then you sprinkle that. Now I remember now that, that I sprinkle that bacteria on, um, I haven't done it yet. So I've just learned it. <laughs> then you spr sprinkle that bacteria on your, um, on like a salad dress, like top dress your, your garden beds with it. And it's promotes better growth for your veggies. So, yeah, there's so many um, there's so many ways that it's used in. If you look up greening the desert in Jordan or the Loess Plateau project in China, it's used all over the world, I would think. And um, Jeff Lawton is a permaculturalist who does this and goes around the world. There's several of them, <laughs> the big guys who do the large escapes. But yeah, it's pretty. It's used for arid places. It's used for places where people want a natural way without pesticides to in a sustainable regenerative way to grow food or to uh, create uh, an, an ecosystem, a healthy ecosystem. Mm, fantastic. Wow. Well, as we wrap up here, what are some, what are some tips? What are some ways to really get started? You mentioned you can start with, you know, a little patio or a large plot of land where, how can people kind of move forward with this permaculture idea? Well, if you will uh, check out the link that I will send you, Michelle, um, <laughs> I welcome your audience to try growing their own microgreens. And I'd love to gift them with uh, a special, um, a special course, like a mini seven day course on how to grow microgreens um, and start there. Start small, start from your microgreens. Um, there are other ways that you can do this. Look in your pantry and see what what things you might be able to grow. There are lots of things that we, uh, I've regrown celery so many times. And um, from the stump, you can regrow a lot of things that we buy from the groceries and never have to buy them again, <laughs> if you had the patience to. <laughs> um, so many seeds in your in your pantry. So uh, yeah, check, check, see what you already have and use what you already have. And then if you need more help, for sure, um, you'll be able to, to point them in our, in our direction, in our, uh, our mini courses, Michelle, is that right? Yeah. Sure, absolutely. We will include all of those things in the show notes. Uh, Nikki, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for all that you continue to do with permaculture. I love it that you're, you're helping your own family and really paying that forward to others as well. Yes, certainly. And um, our website is growmyownfood.com, growmyownfood.com that you can see there. But we hope to continue this conversation again with you and your listeners in the future. Mm -hmm.